鸟儿的欢鸣，溪水的婉转。听，爱与恨，悲与喜，苦与乐，得与失。听，跳跃的文字，灵动的声音。You're listening to Morse Read。欢迎您来到轻松调频美文阅读 ，More to Read。我是沈听，让我们在这里一起听美文，学英语。今天，让我们一起来听美国心理学家纳萨尼尔·布兰登的一句话。接着来读古希腊田园诗人比翁的一首诗歌《To the Evening Star》，致晚星。最后为大家选读的是中国现代著名作家鲁迅所著的短篇小说《孔乙己》。More to read， 用文字抒发感情，用文字诉说故事，用文字。The first step toward change is awareness. The second step is acceptance. Nathaniel Brandon. 改变的第一步是认知，第二步是接受。纳萨尼尔·布兰登。纳萨尼尔·布兰登博士是一位心理学理论家，国际自尊协会执行理事长，同时他也是一位大学讲师、精神治疗职业医师，并著有二十多本书籍。他的著作更多的关注于自尊心理学、爱情与生活心理学，以及客观主义哲学家爱因兰德的思想。目前，布兰登在美国洛杉矶布兰登自尊学院开设了心理治疗门诊。其著作包括《回忆录》《最终审判日》《我与艾恩·兰德共度的岁月》，同时，他也不断为企业界、教育界以及其他行业的人士开设讲座。The first step toward change is awareness. The second step is acceptance. Nathaniel Brandon. 改变的第一步是认知，第二步是接受。纳萨尼尔·布兰登。闭上双眼，静静聆听，敞开心扉，慢慢品味。Poem of the day. To the evening star, beyond. Hesper, sweet Aphrodite's golden light. Hesper, bright ornament of swarthy night. Inferior to the moon's clear sheen, as far as thou outshinest every other star. Dear Hesper, hail, and give thy light to me. Leading the festive shepherd company, for her new course today began the moon, and is already set 
Oh, much too soon. Tis not for impious theft abroad I stir, nor to waylay the nightly traveller. I love, and thou, bright star of love, shouldst lend the lover light, his helper and his friend.海墨之女射出的金灰我不是出去行窃我们刚才听到的诗歌《To in 阿弗罗迪特虽被广泛奉为航海女神或战争女神随之将抒情主人公所出没的时间、地点、环境气氛而在对他的比拟中又交代了夜空的色彩特征暗蓝色在此之后他干脆以第二人称你直呼晚星这表明在他的感觉中已与爱神没有什么心理距离 
，故而到第四行，他才敢称之为好朋友。当此之际，抒情主人公坦诚了自己竭力奉承爱神的缘由。今天我要唱着歌和我的牧人相会。他的动机则在于：月亮落山早，请你替月亮给我以清辉。对于相会的性质，他先以两个否定句解释晚星与读者的疑惑，最终才道明真情：“我是在恋爱。”末了还要补一句：“帮助恋人是件好事情。”只怕晚星不肯赏脸。称谓的多重变换、意象及晚星本身的双重意味，抒情的细腻婉转，都让这首诗歌的艺术表现如水中觅，如月下花。文字的世界，用心用心聆听。Beauty of words。孔乙己是近代文学巨匠鲁迅所著的短篇小说，最早发表在1919年4月《新青年》第六卷第四号，后编入《呐喊》，是鲁迅在五四运动前夕继《狂人日记》之后第二篇白话小说。小说描写了孔乙己在封建腐朽思想和科举制度毒害下，精神上迂腐不堪、麻木不仁，生活上四体不勤、穷困潦倒，在人们的嘲笑戏谑中混度时日，最后被封建地主阶级所吞噬的悲惨形象。该小说篇幅不长，但是却深刻揭露了当时科举制度对知识分子精神的毒害和封建制度吃人的本质。具有强烈的反封建意义。好，那么在今天的节目中呢，我们就一起来读一下由鲁迅所写的《孔乙己》。由于时间关系，今天我们来读这篇小说的上半部分。英文版本由蓝诗玲翻译。《孔乙己》，鲁迅，《孔乙己》by 鲁迅。鲁镇的酒店的格局是和别处不同的。都是当街一个曲尺形的大柜台，柜里面预备着热水，可以随时温酒。做工的人傍午傍晚散了工，每每花四文铜钱买一碗酒，这是二十多年前的事，现在每晚要涨到十文。靠柜外站着，热热的喝了休息。The taverns in Lujan were rather particular in their layout. Facing out to the street was a substantial bar, squared off at the corners, behind which hot water was always at the ready for warming up wine. Lunchtime or evening, when they got off work, the town's labourers would drift in, each with their four coppers ready to buy a bowl of warmed wine. This was twenty years ago, remember. Now it would cost them ten. Then drink it at the bar, taking their ease. 倘肯多花一文，便可以买一碟盐竹笋或者茴香豆做下酒物了。如果出到十几文，那就能买一样荤菜。但这些顾客多是短衣帮，大抵没有这样阔绰。只有穿长衫的才踱进店面隔壁的房子里要酒要菜，慢慢的坐喝。An extra copper would buy them a bowl of salted bamboo shoots or of aniseed beans to go with it. If their budgets stretched to ten coppers or more, a meat dish would be within their reach. 
But such extravagance was generally beyond the means of short-jacketed manual laborers. Only those dressed in the long scholar's gowns that distinguished those who worked with their heads from those who worked with their hands made for a more sedate inner room to enjoy their wine and food sitting down. 我从十二岁起便在镇口的咸亨酒店里当伙计。掌柜说：“样子太傻，怕侍候不了常山主顾，就在外面做点事吧。”外面的短衣主顾虽然容易说话，但唠唠叨叨、缠家不清的也很不少。When I was eleven, I was taken on as assistant barman at the Universal Prosperity at the edge of town, but the manager said. I looked too dull to wait on his prized long-gowned customers, and deployed me instead around the main bar. Though I found the regulars easy enough to talk to, they were also quite capable of making life difficult for me. They often want to look at the wine from the glass of the bottle. They have seen the water in the bottle, and they have looked at the bottle in the hot water, and they are happy. 在这严重监督之下，掺水也很为难，所以过了几天，掌柜又说我干不了这事儿。幸亏箭头的情面大，辞退不得，便改为专管温酒的一种无聊职务了。They would insist on watching the yellow liquor being ladled out of its jar, checking for water in the bottom of their wine kettles. Hawkishly scrutinizing the progress of the kettle as it was lowered into its warming surround of hot water, supervision as exacting as this made watering down the wine something of a challenge. And after a few days, the manager retired me from this line of work too. Fortunately, the connection who had wangled me the position was too powerful for the manager to sack me outright. All the same. He kept my duties as tediously simple as possible, warming the wine. 我从此便整天的站在柜台里，专管我的职务。虽然没有什么失职，但总觉有些单调，有些无聊。掌柜是一副凶脸孔，主顾也没有好生气，叫人活泼不得。只有孔乙己到店，才可以笑几声，所以至今还记得。All day, every day, I spend behind the bar, devoting myself to this task, bold, senseless, even though I never made any mistakes. The manager had a terrible temper, and our customers weren't a particular civil bunch either, so fun tended to be thin on the ground, except when Kong Yiji rolled up, which is why I still remember him. Kong Yiji is standing by the bar and wearing long clothes. 唯一的人，他身材很高大，清白脸色，皱纹间时常加些伤痕，一部乱蓬蓬的花白的胡子，穿的虽然是长衫，可是又脏又破，似乎十多年没有补也没有洗。他对人说话总是满口“知乎者也”，叫人半懂不懂的，因为他姓孔。别人便从描红纸上的“上大人孔乙己”这半懂不懂的话里，替他取下一个绰号，叫“孔乙己”。Kong Yiji was the only long-gown drinker who took his wine standing up. He was a great lanky fellow, 
his peaky white face pitted with scars and wrinkles and fringed by an untidy grey beard. His gown was filthy and torn, as if it hadn't been mended or washed for over a decade. His speech was so dusty with classical constructions, you could barely understand him. Kong Yiji wasn't even his real name. It was the first few characters, Kong Yiji, in the old primer that children used for learning to write. Kong was his surname, all right, but someone somewhere must have once rattled humorously on with E and G, and the nickname stuck. Kong Yiji 一到店，所有喝酒的人便都看着他笑，有的叫道：“孔乙己，你脸上又添上新伤疤了。”他不回答，对柜里说：“温两碗酒，要一碟茴香豆。”便排出酒文大钱。他们又故意的高声嚷道：“你一定又偷了人家的东西了。”孔乙己睁大眼睛说：“你怎么这样凭空污人清白 ？”Another scar, Kong Yiji. The assembled company would laugh the moment he arrived in the tavern. Two bowls of wine, warm, and a plate of aniseed beans. He would order, ignoring his hecklers, and lining nine coppers up on the bar. The provocatively raucous chorus would begin once more. Stealing again? Groundless calumny, unimpeachable virtue. Kong Yiji's eyes would bulge with outrage. 什么清白？我前天亲眼见你偷了何家的书，吊着打。孔乙己便涨红了脸，额上的青筋条条绽出，争辩道：“窃书不能算偷，窃书，读书人的事能算偷吗？”接连便是难懂的话，什么君子固穷，什么者乎之类，引得众人都哄笑起来。店内外充满了快活的空气。Well, that's funny, because just the day before yesterday, I saw you getting strung up and beaten for stealing a book from the hose. Kong's face would flush scarlet, the veins on his forehead throbbing in the heat of discomfort. Stealing books is no crime, is scholarship theft? He would argue back, illustrating his point with a perplexing smatter of archaisms. Poverty and learning. Oft twixt by jowl, etc., etc. At which everyone inside and outside the tavern would collapse with mirth. Kong Yiji truly brought with him the gift of laughter. 听人家背地里谈论，孔乙己原来也读过书，但终于没有进学，又不会营生，于是愈过愈穷，弄到将要讨饭了。幸而写得一笔好字，便替人家抄抄书，换一碗饭吃。可惜他又有一样坏脾气，便是好吃懒做。Somewhere in the distant past, the story went, Kong Yiji had received a classical education, but it had never got him past even the lowest grade of the imperial civil service examination. Since he had no head for any other kind of business. He grew steadily poorer until he was on the point of having to beg for food. Fortunately, he had a good writing hand. He could have scraped by copying out books. Unfortunately, 
he didn't have the temperament for this or indeed any work, preferring drinking to all other occupations. 做不到几天，便连人和书籍、纸张、笔砚一齐失踪。如是几次，叫他抄书的人也没有了。孔乙己没有法，便免不了偶然做些偷窃的事。但他在我们店里品行却比别人都好，就是从不拖欠。虽然贱货没有现钱，暂时记在粉板上，但不出一月，定然还清。从粉板上逝去了孔乙己的名字。And after a few days at any one job, he would simply vanish along with the books, paper, brush, and ink. Once this had happened a few times, the copying work dried up, forcing Kongyi to fall back on periodic acts of theft as his only means of livelihood. All the same, his standing in the tavern was better than most. He never fell seriously into debt, though occasionally he might turn up without ready money. His name would generally be wiped from the credit slate within a month. Kong Yiji, by Lu Xun. The taverns in Lujin were rather particular in their layout. Facing out to the street was a substantial bar, squared off at the corners, behind which hot water was always at the ready for warming up wine. Lunchtime or evening, when they got off work, the town's laborers would drift in, each with their four coppers ready to buy a bowl of warmed wine. This was twenty years ago, remember. Now it would cost them ten. Then drink it at the bar, taking their ease. An extra copper would buy them a bowl of salted bamboo shoots or of aniseed beans to go with it. If their budgets stretched to ten coppers or more, a meat dish would be within their reach. But such extravagance was generally beyond the means of short-jacketed manual laborers. Only those dressed in the long scholars' gowns that distinguished those who worked with their heads from those who worked with their hands made for a more sedate inner room to enjoy their wine and food sitting down. When I was eleven, I was taken on as assistant barman at the Universal Prosperity at the edge of town, but the manager said I looked too dull to wait on his prized long-gowned customers. And deployed me instead around the main bar. Though I found the regulars easy enough to talk to, they were also quite capable of making life difficult for me. They would insist on watching the yellow liquor being ladled out of its jar, checking for water in the bottom of their wine kettles, hawkishly scrutinizing the progress of the kettle as it was lowered into its warming surround of hot water. Supervision, as exacting as this, made watering down the wine something of a challenge. And after a few days, the manager retired me from this line of work too. Fortunately, the connection who had wangled me the position was too powerful for the manager to sack me outright. All the same, he kept my duties as tediously simple as possible, warming the wine all day. Every day, I spend behind the bar, devoting myself to this task.
bold, senseless, even though I never made any mistakes. The manager had a terrible temper, and our customers weren't a particular civil bunch either. So fun tended to be thin on the ground, except when Kong Yiji rolled up, which is why I still remember him. Kong Yiji was the only long-gowned drinker who took his wine standing up. He was a great lanky fellow. His peaky white face pitted with scars and wrinkles, and fringed by an untidy grey beard. His gown was filthy and torn, as if it hadn't been mended or washed for over a decade. His speech was so dusty with classical constructions, you could barely understand him. Kong Yiji wasn't even his real name; it was the first few characters, Kong Yiji, in the old primer that children used for learning to write. Kong was his surname, all right, but someone somewhere must have once rattled humorously on with E and G, and the nickname stuck. Another scar, Kong Yiji. The assembled company would laugh the moment he arrived in the tavern. Two bowls of wine, warm, and a plate of aniseed beans. He would order, ignoring his hecklers, and lining nine coppers up on the bar. The provocatively raucous chorus would begin once more. Stealing again, groundless calumny, unimpeachable virtue. Kung Yiji's eyes would bulge with outrage. Well, that's funny, because just the day before yesterday, I saw you getting strung up and beaten for stealing a book from the hose. Kong's face would flush scarlet, the veins on his forehead throbbing in the heat of discomfort. Stealing books is no crime, is scholarship theft? He would argue back, illustrating his point with a perplexing smatter of archaisms. Poverty and learning. Oft twixt by jowl, etc., etc. At which everyone inside and outside the tavern would collapse with mirth. Kong Yiji truly brought with him the gift of laughter. Somewhere in the distant past, the story went, Kong Yiji had received a classical education, but it had never got him past even the lowest grade of the imperial civil service examination. Since he had no head for any other kind of business, he grew steadily poorer until he was on the point of having to beg for food. Fortunately, he had a good writing hand; he could have scraped by copying out books. Unfortunately, he didn't have the temperament for this or indeed any work, preferring drinking to all other occupations. And after a few days at any one job. He would simply vanish, along with the books, paper, brush, and ink. Once this had happened a few times, the copying work dried up, forcing Kong Yiji to fall back on periodic acts of theft as his only means of livelihood. All the same, his standing in the tavern was better than most. He never fell seriously into debt, though occasionally he might turn up without ready money. His name would generally be wiped from the credit slate within a month. Thank you for listening to today's Chinese reading program. 
。您也可以通过云听 App 在线实时收听美文阅读以及轻松调频的其他节目，并随时聆听节目回放。想要查看美文阅读节目文稿，欢迎您访问网站 radio.cgtn.com， 找到美文阅读板块即可。今天的节目就到这儿，我是沈听，我们明天见。